Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. Once again, my wife Penny and I, we're delighted to be with you folks. As we mentioned last night, as most of you already know, uh, we're the Hoyles. And uh, as we said last night, for 30 years now, our full-time ministry has dealt with the wonderful accuracy of God's Word. But once again, uh, we've also been involved in the Air Force Reserve Chaplain Corps for 34 years. And during that time, we began sharing programs for military audiences about God and country. Six years ago, for various reasons, I became very concerned about the fact that not only were most Americans not hearing the whole story about the origin of the universe, they weren't hearing the whole story about the origin of our country. We've not been giving credit to where credit is due, right? I believe extremely firmly, and I feel more firmly about this the more I study American history, that God founded this country, folks. God's been using this country. And in spite of all of America's sins and shortcomings and failures and mistakes, in spite of all of America's blemishes and bumps and what have you, folks, God still has a plan for this country. During, uh, hopefully, the time we'll have for Q&A at the end, uh, we'll take your questions and comments, and if you like, I can share with you uh, one of a number of my favorite stories about the fact that God is still on the throne. But folks, the media and various Christian ministries, they specialize in the negative, don't they? Bad news makes for good ratings. Various ministries, they raise more money by scaring you to death, by depressing you, by telling you, send us all your money so we'll make things different. Well, folks, once again... God, he's still in control. And even though we don't hear about it, some wonderful things do go on. I mean, my wife and I, we do watch Fox News. But folks, it's media, right? And you're almost always going to hear a negative slant on virtually everything regarding our country. Because once again, it makes for better ratings. But hey, we'll talk some more about that during Q&A if you want. For right now, we better get started as we talk about God at work throughout America's history. And then during the worship service, we'll be looking at God, creation, and national treasure. Having said all that, uh, pastor's already prayed, so let me get out of your way, and we will get started here this morning. Okay, as you know, folks, along this, uh, the road, you're going to see signs like that, right? men at work. Well, the fact of the matter is God has been at work as well, and that becomes very obvious when we study American history how God's providence has been very much on display. Let's look at very, very briefly 10 wonderful examples of God at work, His providence in America's history, starting with the Armada's defeat. In 1588, the Spanish Armada set sail from Spain to conquer Britain. It was the greatest invasion force the world had seen for many, many decades. Britain was doomed. Now, if you believe Hollywood, apparently uh, Sir Walter Raleigh almost single-handedly stopped the Spanish fleet. The fact is, most historians don't think that Sir Walter Raleigh was even there. So this reminds us, Pastor, that we can't trust Hollywood, can we? Well, I, I'm being a harsh, Pastor. You can trust Hollywood films and TV programs if they have nothing to do with history or science or religion or the military or medicine or the law profession or law enforcement or archaeology, psychology. You can't trust Hollywood. But we can always trust in the Bible, can't we? What did happen, folks? The worst storm people had uh, experienced for many, many years came out of nowhere and began sinking the Spanish ships. The fact is, the English fought well, but they only sank six of those ships. The storm began sinking the rest. The results were catastrophic. The Spanish lost almost one-half of their fleet and two-thirds of their men. Now, how did the British fare? They didn't lose a single ship. They lost 100 men. Now, is that a lopsided victory or what? Is it obvious that weather was playing real favorites, folks? One historian living in England at the time said, All people throughout England prostrated themselves with humble prayers. It is most apparent that God miraculously preserved the nation. Sir Francis Drake, who was the English commander, he admitted, God hath given us so good a day 
Queen Elizabeth said, God blew, and they were scattered. And poor King Philip II of Spain, he said, I sent you out to war with men, not with the wind and waves of God. Truly, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, being, being very smart, you're probably wondering something. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about God working in American history. We are. Folks, if the Spanish Armada had been successful, there would not have been a United States of America. In Air War College, while I was on Air Force Reserve duty, I read a fascinating book called What If? Key Moments in World History. They had an entire section on the Spanish Armada, and the article stated the failure of the Spanish Armada laid the American continent open and thus made possible the creation of the United States. God was at work even before this country got started, folks. Indeed, I thought it was interesting. My wife was doing some research for me online. She came across the website, 10 Surprising Ways Weather Has Changed History. On the list, the defeat of the Spanish Armada. And by the way, there's a lot more about that in a terrific book written by a friend of ours, Miracles in American History, 32 Amazing Stories of Answered Prayer. Our contention is God answers prayer. If he believes that the prayer is just, if it's in his will, he can answer it in amazing ways, right? But we have to keep moving on, folks, for the sake of time. We now turn to Pocahontas life. <laughs> and once again, folks, you can't trust Hollywood they have completely mangled almost every detail about Pocahontas, except for the names. They got the names correct, Pastor, and not much else. There was a Pocahontas, and she did save Jamestown, the first successful English colony. She saved it in three ways. Number one, she saved it by saving the life of Captain John Smith, who, by the way, was about 25 years old. Pocahontas was 12. I don't think there's a romance, do you, Pastor? And then she saved it by talking her father, the chief of her tribe, out of attacking the English. She talked him instead into helping to feed <laughs> the English. Captain John Smith gratefully said regarding Pocahontas and God's providence, she was providence's instrument to preserve this colony from utter confusion, famine, and death. Pocahontas would become a Christian. And she would be baptized, folks. And she married the man who led her to the Lord, John Rolfe. Not John Smith. John Rolfe would become her husband. Rolfe and Captain John Smith, they would take her to England, where she became quite the celebrity. Well, a few years later, a group of people known as separatists, they had plans of sailing and establishing a colony in West Africa. We call them the Pilgrims. They changed their minds because of Pocahontas and uh, the pilgrim. I mean, uh, I'll get that straight. Pocahontas and Jamestown. Instead, they went to America, didn't they? That first winter was what? Rough, wasn't it? Almost half the pilgrims died. Another Christian, English-speaking Native American showed up, okay? And he showed the pilgrims how to survive that horrible winter. How did Squanto get there, folks? I mean, his tribe wasn't even in the area. Squanto was brought to the pilgrims by Captain John Smith, the same John Smith whose life was saved by Pocahontas. It keeps getting back to Pocahontas, folks. God, he does remarkable things, doesn't he, with some very unlikely people. Well, anyway, ladies, guess what? If you go in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., the most revered American female in it is Pocahontas. She's depicted in all kinds of places. By the way, as for Squanto, uh, Governor Bradford of the Pilgrims said that he was a special instrument sent of God for the Pilgrims' good beyond their expectations. Gover Governor Bradford also said that these hardships did not dismay the Pilgrims, for they rested in his providence and knew in whom they had believed. American history world history would be completely different without God's use of these two Christian, English-speaking Native Americans. Without them, folks, no pilgrims. Without them, no Mayflower Compact, forerunner of the U.S. Constitution. Without them, no Thanksgiving. Now, if you don't think any of this is serious, 
without Pocahontas, without Squanto, without the Pilgrims, no popcorn. Now I got, I got their attention now, Pastor. <laughs> we got them where it hurts. <laughs> By the way, folks, we find the pilgrims depicted all over the place in the Capitol, and they're on the back of our $10,000 bill. Check them out the next time you get your change. <laughs> if you've got one of those bills, Pastor, I think your church is paying you too much. <laughs> but for the sake of time, folks, we've got to keep moving on, all right? There's a lot more about each of these episodes, for example, in the Miracles book. But moving on, one of my favorite subjects. It's going to be part of a new program I'm working on, Washington's Survival. Folks, it's been said that George Washington spent almost as much time on his knees in prayer as he did on his horse in combat, and it really paid off. George Washington said, It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly implore His protection and favor. Washington believed in that for himself and for his country. As for himself, folks, I call them the nine lives of George Washington. According to historians, George Washington was in several dozen battles. In eight of those battles, he should have been killed. He didn't stand a chance. He not only survived each of those battles, he survived all of those battles, which is mathematically virtually impossible. We're talking about, if we had the time, we can talk about during Q&A if you want, the most famous example being the Monongahela Massacre, although he said he came the closest to death during a horrible nighttime crossfire in Fort Duquesne. He likewise, by the grace of God, survived the Battle of Kipps Bay, the Battle of Trenton following the crossing of the Delaware River, my personal favorite, the Battle of Princeton. Likewise, at the Battle of Brandywine, the Battle of Monmouth, where George Washington personally led a cavalry charge greatly outnumbered, and he didn't get a scratch. And then the final battle at Yorktown. President Calvin Coolidge was an expert on George Washington, and he said, think the divine providence which kept him to serve and inspire his fellow man. The most popular biography about George Washington right now is by Ron Chernow. It's a very good book. Chernow's not a Christian, but Chernow stated, even as a young man, Washington seemed to possess a magical immunity to bullets. This led one Indian chief to predict that some higher power was guiding him to great events in the future. If you're ever in the uh, Capitol building in D.C., the Senate has a wonderful prayer room dominated by a giant stained glass window depicting George Washington in prayer with his favorite verse, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Psalm 16 and verse 1. By the way, folks, let me throw this in for free. Many of you know about the military's Purple Heart Medal, right? It is awarded to military members who are wounded or killed in the service of their country. It depicts George Washington, doesn't it? The irony is, George Washington, no matter what he did, he couldn't get a scratch in combat. He never shed one drop of blood for his country, even though he was incredibly reckless. He never qualified for his own medal. Was Washington a Christian? Actually, I believe so for a whole list of reasons that we discuss in our new program. For right now, we note that George Washington, he wrote in his prayer journal, Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by thy Holy Spirit, Daily free me more and more into the likeness of thy son, Jesus Christ. Thou gavest thy son to die for me and hast given me assurance of salvation. Pastors are a theologian. I'll let him, let him decide if that sounds like a Christian. Moving on. Next, we turn to America's revolution as an example of God at work in American history. During the American Revolution, Congress asked for a National Day of Prayer 15 times. And boy, it really paid off. Benjamin Franklin, folks, he stated, all of us have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. Abigail Adams, the very godly and brilliant wife of President John Adams, mother of President John Quincy Adams, 
hero of many homeschool moms, and for a good reason. Abigail Adams said, the remarkable interpositions of heaven in our favor cannot be too gratefully acknowledged. Washington's number two general was Nathaniel Green. He testified before Congress, the providential train of circumstances affords the most convincing proof that the liberties of America are the object of divine protection. Washington said, every step by which the Americans have advanced seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. But let's get more specific, shall we? May I share with you folks very briefly the story of the Battle of Long Island. It was the biggest battle in the entire American Revolution. It was the most desperate battle, and it's almost totally ignored in schools today. Why? Because, folks, it was the spookiest battle. What happened? Washington's men, they fought long, they fought hard, but they were outgunned, outmanned, outmanned outmaneuvered, and trapped uh, in what's called Brooklyn Heights, right here on Long Island. They were doomed. Washington's men decided that they should retreat, retreat across the East River to Manhattan. But the British Navy, it wasn't stupid, it sailed up the East River to cut off their retreat. What happened? The British attacked. Our men either were killed by the British or drowned in the East River. Washington was captured and hung two weeks later. I guess I can say anything I want, Pastor. There's no protest. Is that what happened? That's what should have happened, and it did not happen, did it? What really happened was really spooky. Folks, a terrific storm came out of nowhere and blew the British Navy back out of the East River. They could not sail up the East River to cut off the American retreat. And then, folks, nightfall came, and the storm went away. The sea was completely smooth as glass. All night long, thousands of American troops were ferried across the East River to safety in Manhattan. Daylight came. Problem. Half our army was still trapped on Long Island, and then it came. It was the densest, grayish, yellowish fog anybody had ever seen. This fog came out of nowhere and settled over Washington's army. The British didn't have a clue what Washington's army was up to. They didn't see what they were doing. And because of the fog, the British Navy, it wasn't sailing anywhere. All day long, the rest of Washington's troops crossed the East River. Washington was the last person to cross. When he set step, set foot, I should say, on Manhattan Island, folks, the fog blew away. This event has been recorded in 40 dictionaries among American and British officers. They all talk about the fog with a capital F. Washington, afterwards, he testified, the hand of providence has been so conspicuous in all this that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith. Among the journals about the fog, the words manifestly providential, a peculiar providential occurrence. And you know that book I read in Air War College on what if? An entire chapter written by the very famous historian David McCullough, all about what the fog wrought. And I was quite impressed, Pastor. The American Heroes Channel had a three-part special on the American Revolution. I was stunned in a good way. The first episode featured mainly, for the first time, the Battle of Long Island. And in that special, four times, it referred to the miraculous outcome of the battle. We were talking about that website my wife found. On the list of the 10 weather events that changed history, the Battle of Long Island and the fog. Truly, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. But again, for the sake of time, moving on, we turn to the Constitution's origins. Who was the first American man in black? For those of us old people who go back to the 60s, was it Johnny Cash? Or for young people today, was it an alien hunter? No, folks, none of these. The very first American man in black 
was our shortest president, five feet, four inches tall, James Madison. James Madison, folks, I feel sorry for him because few Americans even know who he was. But everybody's heard of his wife, Dolly. Famous for Dolly Madison cupcakes. Famous for saving the portrait of George Washington during the War of 1812. Famous for popularizing ice cream. But who remembers what was her personal favorite flavor? Anybody? Oyster. I agree. Anyway, folks, James Madison is generally given the credit for being the chief architect of the US Constitution. That's all. And I have to confess, Hollywood actually got something right. In the second National Treasure film, which I confess my wife and I, we enjoy the series, in the second film, Nicolas Cage correctly identifies the famous Christian French political philosopher Charles Montesquieu as basically being the grandfather of the U.S. Constitution. Calvin Coolidge, regarding our Constitution, he said, my clicker is going crazy here. Anyway, to live under the American Constitution is the greatest political privilege that was ever afforded to the human race. Or a foreigner, namely William Gladstone from Britain. He admitted regarding our Constitution, the American Constitution is the most wonderful work ever struck off at a given time by the brain and purpose of man. But folks, it almost never happened. The Constitutional Committee, it argued and argued nonstop and futilely for almost four months straight. We were not going to get a Constitution, folks, until Benjamin Franklin, that so-called deist, he decided it's time to pray, folks. Benjamin Franklin, he stated afterwards, I can hardly conceive how the Constitution could have been passed without being in some degree influenced guided and governed by that omnipotent, omnipresent, and beneficent ruler. George Washington was the chairman of the Constitutional Committee, and he stated, the Constitution appears to me little short of a miracle. Alexander Hamilton, the man on her $10 bill, he stated, without the finger of God, the Constitution never could have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interests. James Madison, the so-called chief architect of the Constitution, he admitted, it is impossible not to perceive in it a finger of that almighty hand which has been so frequently and signally extended to our relief in the critical stages of the revolution. Benjamin Ruff, Rush, father of American medicine, he stated, the Constitution is as much the work of divine providence as any of the miracles recorded in the Old and New Testament. We could go on and on. I don't sell the book, but it is a terrific book. I do recommend it. I bought my copy secondhand on eBay for $6, including shipping. Seven Miracles That Saved America. One entire chapter, one miracle involving the U.S. Constitution. It's an excellent book. Truly, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But again, folks, moving on, we turn to now the first of several Christian tough guys. Christianity is not for wimps, is it, Pastor? Case in point, Jedediah Smith, Christian tough guy. He's been called the Daniel Boone of the West, except, folks, with all due respect to Daniel Boone, Daniel Boone was a wuss compared to this guy. We could give you all kinds of examples. Jedediah Smith, he survived massacres, ambushes. He had all kinds of adventures. One of my favorites, and ladies, I'm trying to keep this polite. Jedediah Smith was in the Rocky Mountains, and whoops, two of his colleagues and he were attacked by a grizzly bear. Jedediah Smith selflessly shielded his two friends from a grizzly bear. The bear got Jedediah Smith's head inside its mouth. Jedediah Smith extricated himself from that bear, but in doing so, he tore off almost his entire scalp and one ear. It was dangling by just an inch of flesh. Jedediah Smith put the top of his head back on, held it in place as he gave instructions to his two friends how to sew him back together again. <laughs> then he passed out. 
Now, if that's not a Christian tough guy, Pastor, I don't know what a tough guy is. And by the way, it left this horrible scar all the way around the entire top of his head, so he spent the rest of his life combing his hair over, looked like a beatnik. In San Dimas, California, there's a statue of Jedediah Smith. He's holding a Bible. Everybody knew Jedediah Smith did not go anywhere without the Journal of Lewis and Clark and the Bible. Never leave home without it, upside down. Anyway, in Los Angeles, on Wilshire Boulevard, there's a monument to Jedediah Smith. It refers to him as an explorer, fur trader, and missionary. Folks, this Christian tough guy, he did not drink. He did not swear. He did not use tobacco. He was morally pure. Christianity, once again, folks, it's not for wimps, is it, Pastor? Folks, by the time Jedediah Smith died, he had explored more of the western United States than anybody before him, including Lewis and Clark. He's the man mainly responsible for the Oregon Trail and the exploration and settlement of the western United States. Greatly used by God, folks. More and more historians are rediscovering Jedediah Smith. There are more and more films and books uh, coming out about this remarkable person. I was pleasantly surprised. Steven Spielberg, a number of years ago, had a 10-part miniseries on TV called Into the West. That's very, very politically correct. But I was stunned in a good way, folks. Do you know most of one of the episodes dealt with Jedediah Smith and portrayed his Christianity extremely favorably? Or, I do recommend this. It's politically incorrect. The History Channel has a 10-part series called America, the Story of Us. I bought my copy on eBay. I think it was only 5 or $6. At any rate, folks, the entire fourth episode is about Jedediah Smith. Now, Hollywood has depicted him in other ways, not always very favorably or nobly. Uh, there are more and more monuments in honor of Jedediah Smith. Here's my personal favorite. It's in Oregon. Jedediah Smith had three ambitions to serve his God, to provide for his family, and to become a great American explorer. In all three things, he succeeded. I read his journal, folks. It's like a devotional guide. Jedediah Smith said in his journal, how often ought we on our bended knees to offer our grateful acknowledgments for the gift of his dear son? Is it possible that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Once again, Christian tough guy used by God. But we're not done. Time for another Christian tough guy, Pastor. We now come to Chamberlain's Charge. Abraham Lincoln, folks, would become almost a much, as much a man of prayer as George Washington. And Abraham Lincoln said, good news, I ask God to help us and give us victory now. I am sure my prayer was answered. I had no misgiving about the result at Gettysburg, the pivotal battle of the American Civil War, which would determine the fate of the United States of America. That's all. Well, God used a very unlikely person to help save this country. He was a quiet, very reserved college professor who had studied to become a minister, Colonel Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. Because of his convictions, he joined the Union Army. He was commissioned as an officer. He rose up through the ranks until he became the commanding officer of the 20th Maine Regiment. At the beginning of the Battle of Gettysburg, he was given impossible orders. The orders were by mistake. Chamberlain was told that he and his 300 men, all they had to do was hold the most important piece of real estate in America, the little round top. It anchored the entire left side of the Union flank. Chamberlain was told, you will hold this hill at all costs. We have to hold this hill. If the enemy takes this hill, we will be outflanked. We will lose this battle. We will lose this war. No pressure, Pastor. Well, our Confederate friends, they wanted that hill very, very badly. They attacked it with overwhelming force four times straight. Chamberlain's lone 300 men were whittled down to less than 100. They were almost out of ammunition, low on water. 
They were doomed. Chamberlain's men, folks, they thought they were finished. But Chamberlain's favorite verse was, With us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. It's fairly accurate, actually. Most historians think that Ted Turner's three-part series on Gettysburg is about 85% accurate, which for Hollywood's pretty good, Pastor. I met the chief historian for the film, and they tried very hard to be accurate. The film correctly shows how at the Battle of the Little Round Top in Gettysburg, Chamberlain's men pled with Chamberlain to retreat. Chamberlain said, we have our orders. We can't go anywhere. And we cannot surrender. Chamberlain's men said, well, sir, you know we can't stand a fifth charge. We will be overrun. Chamberlain said, you're right. There's only one thing we can do. We're going to charge. That was an extremely weird thing to do when you were grossly outnumbered. Chamberlain's charge, folks, is described in literature in all of America's military war colleges, including the American Air War College, where I first studied it. Well, Chamberlain, he led that charge, grossly outnumbered. At the very beginning of the charge, folks, a Confederate captain pointed his trusty and very, very uh, well-known 1851 Colt naval revolver six feet away at Chamberlain's chest and pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. He pulled it again. Nothing happened. At that point, he decided he better surrender to Chamberlain. <laughs> After the battle, they recovered that revolver. It worked perfectly. If that revolver had fired, American history would be completely different. Chamberlain would have fallen, the charge would have failed, and, well, that would be that. Well, the Chamberlain charge was extremely successful. Chamberlain would be decorated with the Medal of Honor. He'd become a major general by the end of the war, the governor of Maine, etc., etc., etc. Not bad for a Christian guy, folks. You know, people used to say, Chamberlain, who would weep after every battle for the men he lost? People said he had the heart of a woman, but the soul of a lion. Christian tough guy used by the Lord, Chamberlain said, My heart and mind are at peace. Jesus Christ is my all-sufficient Savior. I can trust my own life and the welfare of my family in the hands of providence. I believe in a destiny divinely appointed. As for Abraham Lincoln, Ralph Waldo Emerson, very famous liberal, right, Pastor? He admitted about Lincoln, There is a serene providence which creates the man for the time, Abraham Lincoln, Trains, trains him uh, in poverty, inspires his genius, and arms him for the task. Question, was Lincoln a Christian? I think so. Among other reasons for that, we don't get ahead of ourselves, Lincoln said, I was not a Christian, but when I went to Gettysburg and saw the graves of thousands of our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. Yes, I do love Jesus. And as you might have heard, it's been documented that Lincoln's last conversation with his wife before he was killed concerned his trip to the Holy Land. But we're not done, folks. Another Christian tough guy, Pastor. We turn to York's heroism. A few years ago, American high school seniors were asked who was the greatest American fighting hero of all time. They replied, Rambo. This is sad. Number one, folks, newsflash. Rambo was a fictitious character, wasn't he? Newsflash. He was a wimp compared to another Christian tough guy, Sergeant Alvin C. York, the most heavily decorated American during the First World War. Now, York started out really poorly. He was a hillbilly, folks, from the hills of Tennessee. He was more of a hillbilly than the Clampets were hillbillies, all right? And he was a rascal. He was a heavy drinker, smoker, a carouser. He loved breaking up church services. But his mother, his mother never stopped praying for him, and he got saved. Oh, brother, did he get saved. He made a 180-degree turn, folks. He gave up drinking and smoking and carousing. He became the song director of the church, pastor. He became a deacon. He resisted at first because he became a pacifist. But the U.S. Army 
decided to draft him. He finally decided that it was God's will for him to serve his country if the cause was right, and he thought the cause was right. And God used him in a remarkable way during the last major battle of the First World War, the Battle for Hill 223. The enemy folks, they wanted that hill. They attacked York's unit, and they virtually wiped it out. York finally was, at that time, a corporal. He was the only surviving senior a member, and he had eight privates. That was it. They were told to hold that hill. <laughs> well, York could not bear the thought of losing any more of his friends. Corporal York, later on Sergeant York, he prayed, swallowed hard, told his men to stay where they were, and folks, this Christian tough guy went to work. It's fairly accurately depicted in the most popular film of 1941, Sergeant York, starring Gary Cooper, who was handpicked by York to portray him. Folks, history confirms that this Christian tough guy, he single-handedly attacked an entire German machine gun battalion. When he got done, three hours and 15 minutes later, he had taken out 25 enemy soldiers, captured 29 machine gun positions, and took 120 prisoners. The only help he got from his men was guarding the prisoners. Word got back to General Pershing. He could not believe what he was hearing. So the army investigated this event twice. During a second investigation, they interviewed all of the enemy officers that York captured. Everyone confirmed, we don't like to admit this. Everything you've heard is true about this young man. He took us all out. Folks, by the time the war ended, York would be decorated with the Medal of Honor, and he would receive more awards and decorations than any other American during the entire First World War. York said, though, I believe in continual prayer. A higher power than man guided and watched over me and told me what to do. It was God's power that saved me. Truly, he should call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. However, York was only human, folks. Even tough guys, they have, you know, their shortcomings. Right, Pastor? York hated flying. He hated sailing. He got desperately motion sick, which I can relate to, by the way. But the number one thing that Sergeant York hated was motorcycles. He said, I would rather attack another enemy battalion by myself than ride on a motorcycle. He stated... It was asking too much of God traveling like that. <laughs> How many motorcycle riders do we have here? Oh, sir, you've got more guts than Sergeant York. <laughs> Christian tough guy, pastor. <laughs> Next, moving on, we turn to Patton's prayer. In the winter of 1944, the U.S. Third Army under General George Patton was on its way to being the most successful army in modern military history. It looked like nothing could stop it until the sky fell, literally. The worst winter that Europe had experienced in 100 years descended upon the battlefield. This was a disaster for the Allies for three reasons. Number one, Hitler used the bad weather as cover for his last major desperate attack called the Ardennes Campaign, better known by the Americans as the Battle of the Bulge. The longest, most desperate army battle in American history. Well, it was also bad news, this weather, because, folks, the chief way we were taking out enemy panzer tanks, like the Panther and the Tiger tank, was by using the P-47D Thunderbolt. With the bad weather, our airplanes couldn't fly. And we lost a hideous number of Sherman tanks to these German tanks. And then on top of all that, folks, the bad weather, it prevented our C-47 aircraft from airlifting supplies to the 101st Airborne Division that was desperately trying to hold the key pivotal strategic town of Bastogne. 18,000 Americans were desperately trying to hold off 54,000 enemy troops. Bastogne had to be held at all costs. Whoever controlled Bastogne would control the battle and control the war. Well, folks, enter a man named George, George S. Patton, Jr. 
FDR said that General Patton was a pure joy. <laughs> and he was considered to be, by the German high command, the number one best general of all the Allied officers. Adolf Hitler said the only person that he hated more than General Patton was Winston Churchill. <laughs> now, folks, Patton had his shortcomings, didn't he? But there are three things about him I like a lot and need to be mentioned. Number one, General Patton wanted as many pastors for his men as he could get. We call them chaplains. The U.S. Third Army, under General Patton, had 468 chaplains. That was a staggering number, folks. On top of that, General Patton was huge on prayer. He prayed on his knees in the morning and in the evening. Most Christians don't do that, do they, Pastor? And on top of that, Patton, no matter what, no matter how busy he was, he read his Bible every single day. I saw his Bible at the Army's Fort Knox um, Cavalry Museum in Tennessee. It is full of notes and circles and lines and diagrams. Patton was big on the Word of God, folks, in spite of all of his failures and shortcomings. Well, anyway, folks, make a long story short, which I think is, is really quite fascinating, Patton decided that the American army needed divine help. He ordered his senior chaplain, Chaplain James O'Neill, to write a weather prayer. To make a long story short, they decided to print the prayer on one side of a card with a Christmas greeting from Patton on the other side of the card. Patton said, I want every single person in my army to get this prayer card. I want everybody in my army praying. A quarter of a million troops, folks. Patton's printing press was printing night and day, churning out these prayer cards. Well, folks, Patton himself, he prayed up a storm, and he went to a cathedral in Luxembourg and prayed, prayed, prayed. Then he gave the order to attack. He pivoted his entire army to go northward towards Bastogne. For three days straight, they did not stop for anything. They, plow they plowed through the ice and snow and the mud. They plowed through the enemy. Folks, on the last day, the patent prayer cards were distributed for no reason at all that meteorologists can explain. The weather suddenly cleared, crystal clear. Our P-47s began to fly, taking out enemy tanks. Our C-47s began airdropping supplies to the desperate 101st Airborne Division. Patton's U.S. Third Army fought its way into Bastogne on December 26, 1944. Patton had prayed originally, all I request is four days of clear weather so that I may dispatch the entire enemy army as a birthday present to your Prince of Peace. Well, folks, Pastor... I kept my fingers crossed. I held my breath. I checked U.S. Army weather records for the six-week-long Battle of the Bulge. The only four clear days of weather in a row were the four clear days Patton prayed for. Afterwards, Patton went back to talk to God at the cathedral, and he stated, Sir, that's how he referred to God, Sir, this is Patton again, and I beg to report complete progress. He also stated, I wish I'd asked for six clear days of weather. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Folks, Patton's public affairs officer, a lieutenant colonel, Jack Widmer, he stated, thousands of Third Army men believe the Lord worked a true modern miracle in answer to General Patton's prayer for aid to turn the tide at the Battle of the Bulge. How many here have seen the 1970 film Patton starring George C. Scott? It's a terrific film, Pastor. You've got to watch this film. It's about 80% accurate. It concludes with Patton's prayer. The Weather Channel has a series called The 100 Biggest Weather Moments in History. They have an entire episode about Patton's prayer. It's called A Prayer for Good Weather. The narrator is four-star Army General Wesley Clark. I almost fell out of my chair when in that program, Wesley Clark gave Patton's prayer the credit for the victory at Bastogne. <laughs> the Los Angeles Times, folks, is a very liberal publication, but um, five years ago, they had a special Christmas feature article about Patton's prayer. 
That article concluded with, his prayer was answered, the weather miraculously cleared, and Patton broke through the German defenses and relieved Bastogne. Speaking of which, folks, in Patton's U.S. Third Army, all the way from Normandy until the end of the war, served Private R.G. Hopper. He saw some savage fighting. In fact, his best friend was killed very gruesomely right next to him at St. Lo in France. He's smiling in his photograph in Germany because the war is over, and he's going to get to go back home finally. I'm glad that Private Hopper survived because a number of years later, he started a family. He had a daughter named Penny, who'd become my wife. <laughs> Last, not least, we turn to Elliot's dedication. It was called Operation Aka in 1956. Five very brave young Americans became missionary folks and decided that God wanted them to reach out to the most wicked, savage, fearsome people on earth, the Aka Indians of Ecuador. Nobody had ever been able to penetrate the Aka Indians' uh, savagery. To make a long story short, they achieved a rapport with the Aka Indians. They made great success. But nobody knows why, what happened. There are three different theories. One awful afternoon along the bank of the Amazon River, folks, I'm sorry, not the Amazon. That's a different story. Anyway, along the bank of the river, folks, for unknown reasons, the Akans butchered all five of those missionaries in cold blood. It became known as the Aka Indian Massacre of 1956. Left behind were five grieving widows and three little babies. Life magazine had a huge feature article talking about this terrible event, folks. But guess what? A year later, they had another feature article about the Aka Indian Massacre. It was even bigger and was absolutely breathtaking. They reported all five widows stayed in Christian service, and two of those women went right back to the Aka Indians who killed their men. They risked their lives. They led most of the tribe to the Lord Jesus Christ. On the right-hand side is Elizabeth Elliot. She led to the Lord the man who butchered her husband. As a result of the inspiration, the dedication of these missionaries, folks, it's been conservatively estimated that over 5,000 young Americans became foreign missionaries to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the biggest surge in mission efforts in modern Christian history. There are various books and films about the Elliots, about these missionaries, about the Aka Indian Massacre. My personal favorite, and if you read it, I warn you, keep a, handy, keep a hanky handy, all right? It's called Through Gates of Splendor. It was written by Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote the book a year after her husband was killed. She was only 28 years old. In that book, she notes her husband's favorite verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, you might be wondering, what's that got to do with God at work in America's history? It has everything to do with it. Folks, once again, in spite of our country's shortcomings and failures, the fact is we can expect America to make mistakes because America is full of Americans. Write that down, Pastor. And Americans are human, and humans do what? They sin. They do stupid things. And Americans are no exception. But God's been using this country, folks. He's not done with it yet. And for one thing, folks, in spite of it all, our country, it is the headquarters for worldwide missions. Our country by far sends out more missionaries than any country on earth. We spend more money on foreign missions than the entire rest of the world put together. We translate, publish, and distribute more copies of the Bible than the entire rest of the world put together. Once again, folks, God's not done with us quite yet, is he? We could go on and on and on. And we owe a great debt to brave young Americans like the Elliots and their dedication. I like to say, Pastor, there's still some tread left on America's tires that God can use if we don't throw in a towel. Well, we could go on and on and on, but the rapture's about to happen. Could we have the lights, please?
Okay, gotcha. Uh, okay. Um, Pastor indicated that we would be happy to take your questions uh, in between the two services over here, but I would like to share with you one of many stories I could share with you about how, folks, God's on the throne, and we should not be depressed by the media, okay? Um, again, make a long story short, there's a World War, World, World War II memorial in Washington, D.C., right? And Senator Bob Portman from Ohio, he's at the memorial, and he was curious, there's no reference to God anywhere about uh, no reference to God anywhere in the memorial. I'm trying to talk too fast, excuse me. Anyway, he introduced legislation in the Senate that for the first time in history, a memorial would be retroactively altered to include, in this case, a special exhibit to God and prayer during World War II. And he decided that we should honor, in particular, FDR's famous D-Day prayer, which most Americans have never heard of. Folks, what happened on the evening of June 6, 1944, FDR, he started his usual fireside chat, but he didn't talk. He prayed the entire time. He gave the newspapers a copy of his prayer, and he asked Americans across the country to please pray this prayer with him. Newsweek magazine reported, I don't know how they found this out, a hundred million Americans prayed with FDR that night for God's mercy upon our troops dying on the beaches of Normandy. Newsweek magazine said it was the biggest single mass prayer rally in the history of the world. By the way, Dwight D. Eisenhower said that as bloody as Normandy was, he said we only lost, only lost 8% of the troops they anticipated losing. <laughs> 8%. I think God was involved, don't you? One way, folks, Bob Portman said, let's honor God and prayer by having a display about FDR's prayer. Well, you know what? If you Google this, folks, everybody was against it. The ACLU, the administration, blah, 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 blah. All right? Guess what happened? Folks, last year, on June 30th, against his will, President Obama had to sign into law for the first time in American history that an American monument or memorial had to be retroactively altered and a special prayer exhibit would be included. Why did he have to sign it into law? Folks, the House of Representatives voted 370 to 12 in favor of it. And the Senate voted unanimously, 99 to 0 that we needed this alteration to honor God in prayer. Now, I'm asking a few questions, please. How many here have heard all about this? Not a single person. How many are wondering how come you haven't heard about this? How many of you are a little bit annoyed you haven't heard about this? This is good news, folks, and good news does not make for good ratings, okay? Some very fine Christian ministries have ignored this because their goal is to scare you and depress you, to get more money out of you, okay? And various media, media, and some of them are good media, once again, they don't emphasize the good, do they, pastor? They want to spook you. Once again, folks, God's on the throne, isn't he? He's working behind the scenes, isn't he? This is a phenomenal event, folks, and it's just one of many that we could share with you. But the rapture's about to happen. I thank you so much. May God bless you. May God bless the United States of America. Final message from our sponsor, Pastor.